Sorry for the noise, just trying to get situated here. Good morning everybody, this is uh, Mike. And you have tuned in to, tuned in to Driving Theology and uh, I'm on my way to work. Thanks for joining me. Uh, it is December 1st. We are in the first week of Advent. And, you know, it's funny, every week I have to go on the internet and look up what's the what's the first week of Advent theme. And actually, I started doing that yesterday, and I don't think I really got as far as I should have, because now I can't remember. But I'm pretty sure it's hope. Pretty sure it's hope. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I've been thinking about what to do this week uh, for Advent and how to celebrate it and how to commemorate uh, this month. Uh, and something that's been kind of feeding into that, or those thoughts, uh, is this book I'm reading, which is called When Everything's on Fire by Brian Zond. If you don't know, Brian Zond is a current uh, author on all things Christian and uh, Jesus related. Um, he's really difficult to pin down. It's really difficult to, to put him in a category, and that's probably why I like him a lot. Um, he checks off a lot of boxes. Mega church pastor, uh, mystic, almost monk, uh, rebel, um, controversial thinker. <laughs> Uh, outspoken uh, critic of uh, Americanism even though he is an American himself um, there's a lot of reasons I like him in that there are a few things that I'm not I'm not too big on and that's one of the reasons I want to read this book because anytime I find somebody that I agree with a lot on some things but really disagree with them on other things I'm always trying to figure out why you know that that dissonance exists and why that would be possible you know why would it be possible for us to share so many uh, so many leanings and thoughts and uh, beliefs uh, and yet differ so greatly on others and this book actually is about that very subject it's almost like it was written to me from him in a sense to address um, that dissonance between uh, what he believes and I believe. And of course, I don't know Brian. <laughs> Brian is a fairly famous author. I may or may not have, you know, talked to him on Facebook. I can't remember if I specifically got any message from him. I think I may have once. Um, <clears throat> Great, great guy, and and just has some wonderfully uh, profound things to say uh, about this world that we live in, um, and how it intersects with uh, the kingdom of heaven. And, and I recommend Brian Zond uh, to all of you. Uh, he, he's a, he's an easy author to read. He's very down to earth. Uh, you know, he does use a few terms here and there. Uh, that maybe you wouldn't be familiar with, but but not much. Like he's 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 a he's a scholar, uh, and yet he's I, I find him to be very very approachable. Uh, so, every, when everything's on fire, is sort of like this idea of uh, 
it broaches the, the, the subject of what we are today calling deconstruction. And if you don't know, deconstruction is um, what people do when they start to question uh, their belief system, right? They start deconstructing their belief system. And of course, a, a belief system is a system because there are many aspects to it, right? There are many moving parts that all work together to make you know, your beliefs a system. You know, even if you take the belief in Santa Claus, right? The belief in Santa Claus is a system in that there are a lot of moving parts to keep that belief afloat in the minds of children by adults, right? Uh, from, um, you know, uh, eating the cookies and milk that the kids put out for, for Santa, from, uh, uh, you know, waiting until the very, the, the kids are asleep on Christmas Eve to put the presents out, you know, even writing from Santa on the presents, uh, you know, parents not taking credit for uh, the gifts that, that Santa gives them. You know, there's a whole system uh, around this belief that, um, I guess this, supporting the belief that Santa exists. So anyway, every 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 religion is a belief system. It's it's a it's a collection of uh, many beliefs that all need to kind of work together like the gears in a clock uh, in order to make sense to us. Um, in a lot of ways, and yeah, sure, we say that you know faith negates negates the the necessity for your religion to make sense, but. You know, I don't really buy it. I, I think there's still religions that we would decide don't make sense. And we, 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 we say they don't make sense based on our uh, sense of reason. And perhaps, you know, the, the whatever religion that we are believing in at the time uh, being contrary to that other belief system. Maybe. Anyway, when everything's on fire is basically Brian Zahn's uh, account of his own deconstruction, which is a word that he doesn't like. Uh, he, he likes something more like renovation. Um, deconstruction, I think, is a little more dis a little too destructive for him. And and uh, in, in that way, he, he my, my deconstruction, his deconstruction are quite similar in that we we didn't burn down the entire house, right? So he likens he likens the your belief system or your faith as a house and a house that has many rooms and just like in a in a in an actual physical house uh, there may be rooms that have problems leaky roofs uh, broken windows uh, you know bug eaten floors uh, paint peeling off the walls whatever electrical problems you know plumbing problems uh, there can be all kinds of problems in a house. And so when you when you come into the house with the purpose of making it livable, you have to make some decisions, right? Uh, there may be a part of the house, a wing of the house, if you will, uh, that is just not worth trying to fix. You know, it may be better to, to tear that whole thing down and, and build something better in its place. Um, and, but then there may be, you know, 
perfectly viable rooms except for one or two little tweaks that can be made uh, and you can salvage the room and, and perhaps the foundation of the house itself uh, through making these tweaks and so what Brian Zond is talking about is is you know how a lot of people uh, notable people you know recently people who have been um, important or prominent in uh, Christendom uh, have completely lost their faith they've lost their faith not only in the church uh, or in the Bible but also in God himself and in fact maybe by this point deny his existence altogether and and it's understandable that people get to this place, right? It's completely understandable to me that people uh, would get to this place because I, I have a belief, and it's based on my own life and my own experiences, that people have based their faith on something other than Christ. And he goes through this, and this is what I like about the book, and I'm only about 35% through the book so far. Um, uh, he, he goes through the, the difference between uh, what it means to um, believe in the church as opposed to believing in Christ or what it means to believe in some, some, you know, some version of God instead of believing in actu you know, actually believing in Christ uh, or believing in the Bible while not believing in Christ. Right? Not believing Christ, I think, is another way to say that. Um, and he even differentiates, and this is what I like, and this is why I recommended my friend Pat read this. He differentiates between those who um, love Jesus and those who love Christ. He says some people are stuck on Jesus and miss Christ. And this is a really interesting uh, thing to parse out because... Uh, it, it on first glance it feels sacrilegious and, and I'm one of those people that really fell in love with Jesus uh, and and you know over the last five six years I've really focused um, my you know my entire belief system on Jesus as found in the Gospels uh, and and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing as long as that's not the final destination. In other words, maybe that's how you get to the final destination, but there's possibly, uh, and I think uh, Zond is exploring this, there's something even beyond Jesus uh, that is greater and better than he. Wow, better than Jesus. Like, you know, that even just saying that, I know some people are just about to turn this thing off. So, so hear me out and let me let me complete this thought. Even Jesus says to Mary Magdalene in the garden when, when she wants to, to embrace Jesus, he says, you know, don't cling to me, Mary. Right? Don't cling to me, Mary. Uh, I'm going to mess this up. But basically what he's kind of getting at is don't cling to me, to this version of me, because uh, I have not yet ascended. That's what he says. I haven't ascended yet. So the ascended Jesus, who becomes through his resurrection and ascended, the global Messiah, the Christ, if you will, right? 
that is the version that that Jesus encourages us to cling to of him right that that you know and and he says this to the, the to the disciples in other ways he says you know it is better that i go because the one that has come the, the one that comes will be and i'm not don't i'm not trying to quote this directly but basically he says the one that comes the comforter comforter who will come is better than jesus better for better for us than jesus is for us right and again that just sounds wrong to say um, but but basically um, that's that's what this is getting at uh, that that you know God what God has been orchestrating in the world did not culminate in the coming of Jesus but in the ascension of Jesus into the position of Christ right the the anointed one the Messiah the, the savior of all the world not just uh, not just the the the, the teacher who uh, you know a couple hundred people met in Judea you know in you know between AD 30 and 33 about so he, he gets to this idea that you know one of the reasons that our faith fails is that we're clinging to the wrong thing. We're, we, we, we are putting our hope in the wrong, in the wrong thing, right? The wrong aspect of God, as you will. And I think all of these things are as, aspects of God. I think scripture is an aspect of God. I think the church being the body of Christ is an aspect of God. I think, of course, the person of Jesus is an aspect of God, uh, but I think I think the the Christ, right, the universal Christ, as Richard Rohr likes to talk about, and other authors, the Christ is is the final revelation of God, right, and we see glimpses of Him in Jesus, but Jesus is limited to time and space. Christ suffers no such limitations, and so. Christ being again invisible as as the first um, what do we say the first version of God was invisible right the God who created the heavens and the earth and the, the you know we knew him as invisible even though he appeared sometimes as fire and cloud and uh, other things in the Old Testament basically people knew him as invisible and then Jesus comes and, and, and God is incarnated in him, right? He becomes flesh, he becomes visible and, and present. Uh, and now the Christ, again, uh, becomes invisible in a sense. But I think what we're missing is that those who have faith in the invisible Christ are the physical presence of Christ on earth, right? So Christ is both invisible and visible. He's He's invisible in the sense that, that we cannot see Jesus, but he's visible in the sense that he still exists on earth in his body, that we, we have become uh, the temple in which Christ can be visited hmm. and worshipped. And it doesn't mean that we are worshipped. It means that we are a conduit to the worship of Christ. And I, not to, not to you know, 
keep hounding on this kind of sidebar, but I'm, I'm not talking about some kind of a, uh, you know, worship service where people show up to, to physically bow down and, and sing the praises of. I think worship, again, has to do with uh, submitting to the will of Christ in the world. And the will of Christ in the world is that we love one another. And I think that's, that's his, his final command and that, that command stands for all time. Uh, so the way we worship Christ is that we love the people around us. Um, and in so doing, we introduce Christ to the world. and We, we become um, an extension of Christ and a conduit of Christ, right? Um, so, yeah, that's uh, a lot to unpack. So where... So Brian Zahn gets to that point, and I think it's a wonderful point, and I think it's it's probably uh, where I foresee the next growth in my own theology going, right, that direction, which is all well and good, and, and I'm all for it. Um, but, you know, what I have done, and if you've listened to my podcast much, you realize that I no longer am a member of a traditional church that I have more or less given up on uh, the institutional church um, and I don't believe that it is the 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 only the sole body of Christ I think I think the body of Christ exists in all kinds of unexpected places and in a sense the body of Christ exists anywhere true love is exhibited is exhibited or or uh, is um, shown to others, right? Uh, and and so you know, I I we haven't in a year or two very regularly, but I I gather with and associate with a small group of believers uh, to whom I attempt to be a mentor and a, and an example, and basically just provide space where we can get together and, and love on one another. And, you know, of course we do pray sometimes and we sing sometimes. And, you know, there are a couple of other things that we might do from time to time. Um, but basically the, the whole concept, the concept is that we get together to love on one another, right? To, to, to be Christ and to show Christ to one another. That's the, that's the purpose of what we do. Um, it doesn't always work out perfectly of course so where Zahn differs is that he has remained in an institutional church a church that he planted a church that did suffer a huge break uh, in large part because of his um, his deconstruction because he he stopped um, being a uh, a an Americanist right a person who believed in evangelical or, or propagated evangelical Christian American uh, nationalistic religion. He, he departed from that. And in departing from that, that belief system or that room, you know, that was one room in his theology. Uh, when tearing down that room, a lot of people who were very comfortable in that room in his church left. Right? They walked out. Um, that is, of course, going to happen in a church when you've got two, three thousand people 
in attendance that you can't, you know, you can't hardly, what, what do you say? It's not shake a stick. There's a, there's a saying. Oh, I can't remember. But the gist of it is you can't drop something without offending somebody. You can't, can't even drop a pin or a needle without offending somebody. Oops, sorry about that. It is raining here today. We had a huge downpour this morning, so I've got my wipers on. Still sprinkling a bit. Anyway, so you're bound to offend people when you make any shift in your theology that big when you are the pastor of the church. And and this is my problem with megachurch. This, 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 this is where I think... Um, this is where I disagree with him. I think the fact that you put yourself up as pastor, as leader, as as um, uh, you know, church planter, as basically the owner of that church, in a lot of ways, uh, the ebb and flow of your life causes a lot of damage. Right? The more people that depend on you and trust you. Uh, and people trust their pastors. I mean, people have done crazy things for crazy pastors. Um, the relationship is a very solid one in most cases. Very solid is not the right word. Um, it doesn't have enough checks and balances. You know, whatever damage he did to people, he may have caused people to go into atheism because they trusted him so much that when, when he pulled the rug out from under one of their belief systems, uh, it caused them to fall completely, right? They didn't have the foundation that he had. So, you know, Zahn was able to to burn down a couple rooms and, and keep his house intact, but what, didn't re what he doesn't realize or didn't realize is that some of those rooms were the main room of other people. And so I don't, I just feel like it's too much influence. And I also don't feel like it's it's obvious how to how to get rid of that influence in that situation. I feel like the very shape of a church where a man stands in front of a long congregation and talks for hours on end uh, and is the is the soul or you know one of the few voices of a church, I just think it lends itself to this kind of unhealthy dependence. And I say unhealthy because none of our houses are perfect. None of the none of the houses that none of the buildings that we have created to contain our belief system. None of them are perfect. And and we don't get to choose we don't have control over which rooms the people we invite into our house are going to feel the most comfortable. You know, it's hard. We don't get to choose that. And even if you did, right, even in a, in a setting where one person is talking to thousands, how are you going to be intimate enough with that one person in order to lead them well? You know, you really have need to be talking to maybe six people or maybe 12 or God forbid 20 people 
that depend on you so much, right? Uh, you don't know what people are thinking when you've got thousands of people in your church. You have no way of knowing. It's too big, right? The, the control uh, is is not good. It's it's just it's just crazy, right? Um, the the environment that has such a potential for abuse, right, is there in that situation. And, you know, we see it all the time. It happens, you know, just constantly. Pastors have a lot of influence uh, over their parishioners. So this is where Brian Zond and I differ. But I want to say this. I, I, I want to see where he's going with this book. I want to I see if he addresses this. Um, if he if he addresses the culpability of the pastoral system in in encouraging the complete deconstruction of people who are questioning their faith, you know I, I believe the system itself is culpable for a lot of the the unhealthy deconstruction that we're seeing. I think it's the fault of the church. It's the fault of the of the hierarchical system. Uh, and and I don't know what I don't know what Brian Zahn thinks of that, right? Um, but I will say that you know when the mighty fall, they don't fall alone. They never fall alone. Um, and when the mighty trip, uh, some of the weak actually fall, right? When the mighty are wounded, some of the weak actually die. Uh, you know, we say the higher, uh, what do we say? The bigger they are, the higher, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. The bigger they are, the harder they fall, I guess is the way. And, uh, you know, this is true. Like I, you know, I used to fall down as a kid, man, just roll around. I'd jump off of high things. Not now. No, my, my body, uh, definitely rejects the idea of me jumping off things and, and uh, you know, rolling around and falling down, right? When I was a kid, I did it for fun sometimes. No, not, not anymore. You know, I've gotten bigger, I've gotten taller, I've gotten older, uh, and, you know, it, it hurts to fall down. All right, so let me just recap to see if I was going where I wanted to go. Well, let, let's tie this into the first week of Advent. Let's, let's do that. I think I've said enough about the book. Uh, but it actually brought me to the point of hope, right? So, hope being the, the first uh, the candle, first candle, candle of Advent, the first theme of Advent, uh, you know, harkens back to the hope that the people had of the Messiah, the, the, the hope that they had that God would deliver them by sending them someone who would defeat the enemy and restore uh, the the temple and the nation of Israel back to prominence. Right? They had hope that God would rescue them in their predicament. Uh, and and this is a good hope, right? This is a good thing to have when when we are down, um, when we are oppressed. Um, when we are, you know, taken advantage of or what have you, 
uh, we we need help. We need outside help. We need someone to step in uh, to to res- to rescue us, to save us from time to time. Uh, it's normal for people to 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 want this, right? To look for this, to call for this. Uh, quite normal. And and this is what this is what we see. Uh, with, you know, oh, you're kidding me. Cannot stop there. All right, so the people were were hopeful right they were longing for they were hopeful that god would send them a, a deliverer which he had done in their history many times or at least they believed he had done many times uh, and so this is this is the world uh in which jesus was born in which god was incarnated uh in the baby of jesus he was the he was the beginning of the fulfillment of their hope right he was the beginning of the fulfillment, and I say beginning because I don't think I don't think God's answer fulfilled their hope in the way that they were expecting it to. If you really think about it, I, I think you know obviously God went above and beyond, <laughs> right? I mean, what God did with Jesus is certainly above and beyond um, what what people were expecting right they 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 were expecting something different than what they got but what they got was exactly what they needed Jesus is the answer uh, to the hope um, in an un- unexpected way in a, in a much better way than they expected, I think. In a way that, that covered them from, from that time through eternity, right? Not just for an era of time. Uh, and I think what we call that is Christ, right? Jesus becoming the answer for eternity is Christ, right? That's, that's the job of Christ. Becoming the salvation for all people everywhere for all time. That's that's who the, that's who the Christ is, um, and so you know this Advent season, there, there's you know a lot of stuff happening. Last year I talked about you know um, hope, uh, probably in a different way than I am today. But I would like to encourage you and encourage myself to be sure and put my hope in the final revelation of God, as found in Christ. Right to get my hope into the best possible place. That best possible place, not being the church, right? Not being the people that you're gathering with. Uh, it also is not uh, the Bible, right? The Bible does not save you. It's also not your adherence to rituals, uh, whether it's baptism. Holy Communion or the Eucharist uh, or um, uh, what's something else I was thinking about Uh, Uh, your sinner's prayer right your prayer life or your 
you know, the, the sincerity of your repentance or the purity of your heart. None of these are what save you, right? It's also not Jesus in a sense, right? It's not Jesus uh, in that Jesus is not somebody we can any longer find any longer find on the earth, right? Jesus was uh, God incarnate, right? But when God took on that next level of existence, an existence that's also promised to us, then then God, who became Jesus, then became the Christ, right? Uh, and how the how Christ intersects with the Holy Spirit, you know, for example, is is the Holy Spirit just a synonym for Christ? Uh, you know that that's that's something else to to talk about in debate and exactly how Christ and the Holy Spirit work in us and through us uh, is is you know something that is definitely worth talking about. Uh, but I think at least we need to start with the realization that Christ is that final destination, the final revelation, right? Christ is truly the Savior of the world, right? Um, so, putting our hope in, in the church is a step in the right direction. Putting our hope in the Bible is a step in the right direction. Uh, putting our hope in, in, you know, in the institutions of the church, uh, or the, uh, rituals and practices of the church is certainly a step in the right direction. Putting our, our hope in Jesus is certainly a step in the right direction, but it's not going to be fulfilled completely until we discover God's revelation in Christ, right? Who is Christ? Who is Christ exactly? And and who is God in the person of the Christ? And what does that mean for the world, right? What, what, what is that? How does that manifest itself? How does Christ manifest himself in the universe? And what does that mean for the universe, right? Um... I have put my hope in all of those things I mentioned, right? I've been that guy. It's not that I'm just pulling these things out of thin air. You know, I also uh, quickly learned not to put my hope in my own uh, performance because I knew that was just destined to not to, to, to fail. I could never perform well enough to earn salvation. That's That's something I learned pretty early on the hard way, right? Through a lot of shame. Uh, and there's still, you know, residual aspects of that, that, you know, in my life that I'm still dealing with, right? I think a lot of us are. Um, but somehow, uh, I've, I've been, I've been blessed enough to be able to take steps farther and farther to, to, to better and better and fuller and fuller revelations of God to the point where now I, I think I see that the revelation of Christ uh, is truly where my hope uh, can be fully realized. Uh, 
and that will either be true or it will not be true and that and even if even if Christ is the final revelation of God and, and maybe I am seeing him from afar it doesn't mean that there won't be even further revelations right that there are, there may not be even further revelations uh, that of, of Christ right aspects of Christ himself rooms of Christ if you will that, that perhaps I will not be perhaps that I will be uh, invited into and, and see. And I don't think that will end. I think, you know, maybe even throughout eternity, this will continue to be an, an everlasting, uh, more and more beautiful revelation of Christ. Uh, and I look forward to that because the revelation of Christ I have now is so, so much more beautiful than any revelation I've previously uh, seen. Um, that that it's hard for me to imagine anything more beautiful. Um, and beauty is something that, that I think we can be comfortable enough uh, to associate with Christ. Um, beauty and the beauty of Christ. If Christ is not beautiful, he's not Christ. Right? Christ must be beautiful in all his, in all his glory, if you will. And I think I think we worship that glory uh, through through revealing that glory to to others, and that glory doesn't just manifest itself in the beauty of Christ, right? It manifests itself in the fact that Christ sees you as beautiful as well. The beauty of Christ is so beautiful because He sees each and every one of you. Each and every one of us is beautiful. That's beautiful. Not to put too fine a point point on it. Well, I am where I need to be for my job, and I'm going to have to sign off just a few minutes early, which is nice. So, uh, you guys have a great Advent uh, season, and I hope you are you are able to to truly find a a worthy home for your hope. Bye bye.